Welcome to Answering, the podcast about vocation from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm your host, Matthew Phillips. Vocation is a weird word, but so are calling and purpose and even job. Honestly, I'm not positive I know what vocation means. All those other words are wrapped up in it, but it's a bigger idea. Vocation is our search for our place in God's world, the work we're supposed to do, the people we're supposed to do it with, maybe even the dreams we're supposed to have about what comes next. The idea behind this podcast is that we're all looking for answers. The best way to find them is to sit with other people who themselves are in the process of answering. The first person we'll listen with is the Reverend Dixon Kinzer, 19th Rector of St. Paul's. We start this series with Dixon not because he's the rector, but because he's a kind of pastoral entrepreneur, a person who lives and leads with insatiable curiosity, the perfect way to start a project that's all about curiosity. Dixon's vocation looks really public, but we'll hear him talk about the aspects of vocation that are more personal and that have been more of a struggle. Dixon's story also underlines the difference between vocation and job. After all, he's equally at home playing in his rock band as in the Gothic nave of St. Paul's. I kind of feel like conversations around this word vocation are really crucial because a lot of us, I can even include myself as a clergy person, we, we carry around this kind of binary idea that there's like a sacred world and a secular world. And so as a result, we feel like there are some jobs that are like kind of like spiritual and important to God jobs. And then there's like other jobs that aren't. So like what I do is kind of spiritual, important to God, because look, I mean, you're in the church and you're like talking about God and stuff. That's got to be more spiritually edifying and beneficial than like working in a bank or being a teacher. Um, You know, and what what I want to scream all the time is like, that is a false dichotomy. That distinction between secular and sacred doesn't exist. All of this is the realm of God's activity. Um, all of it is infused um, with divine love and all of it is sacred. The whole thing's a miracle. And so it's really, it becomes an opportunity in a podcast like this for people to start to interrogate their own um paths of employment, the things that they've chosen to give their time and energy to if they're retired, like whatever you're doing right now with with your energies and your gifts, in what way is it sacred? In what way is it already spiritual? Um, how does it already have, um, how is it already loaded with divine purpose and possibility? So I'm fired up about this and I think it's brilliant. Thanks for doing this. Oh, well, thank you. I, I'm uh, I'm fired up about it too. Because uh, I think this is such important work. I like the way you frame that as, as important work that everybody is supposed to be doing. Not wearing a collar doesn't mean you do more or less discernment about vocation and, and thinking about the ways in which you uh, find meaning and opportunities for service in the kingdom. Yeah. And I would say, too, Matthew, just to tip our hand about where this is going, um, we're, we're going to be really clear to not make this about jobs, Right. Like it's it's going to be about much more than that. So it's it's not just people that are like middle aged and kind of thinking about their career like you and me, because I, I think we're middle aged. I think that's what I heard. 
Um, but it, you know, we're going to talk to some high school students. Like, how do you figure out, you know, what, what your path is at, at every kind of phase of life? Or again, you know, if you're retired. Um, so um, vocation work is work for the whole body of Christ. Uh, so Dixon, everybody at St. Paul's knows that you grew up in this church or, or spent part of your, uh, your early life in this church back then. Uh, or maybe at a couple of interesting intersections, you can pick the times. What did you want to be when you were a child? <laughs> when I was a child, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, man. <laughs> I wanted to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> like I, as a kid, I was so tuned into like, you know, fantasy and um, science fiction and things like the the job thing or the the notion of like, a path that I would take like as an adult um, wasn't on the radar. It was like a threat to me. <laughs> it was like, don't make me think about that. Um, I had friends who were deeply ambitious. And I remember having to do a project, you know, in um, middle school where we had to think about, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you had to like research a profession. And it was a, you know, uh, like a paper, you know, write a research paper. And uh, I had friends who were like, yeah, I'm totally gonna be a doctor. Like, that's what I want to do. And they were going after it. I want to be a lawyer. And they were going after it. And I, I was kind of like, oh, I don't think I've really thought about that. And so I remember, like, just sitting with a friend being like, well, what pays the most? I suppose that's a way you'd pick something. <laughs> right? Um, so I, I hadn't I don't think you that... managed to pick that choice. You, you know you messed that up, right? <laughs> I, I completely – yeah, I misstepped on that. I, I did not really follow through on my – the ambitions of my youth. Which maybe is a learning for my whole life uh, about this. As I, if I have looked back over the things that have been the most um, fulfilling and the the most kind of right for me um, as a person in terms of like choices I've made. If you asked me, you know, ten years prior to that, um, what do you want? You know, what, what's your life plan? They it wouldn't have included those things. Like I wouldn't have picked to be to do what I do now when I was a kid. I could have never known that this was something that would bring me so much joy and fulfillment, or that I'd be good at. Um, you know, it was just not on the radar. And so um, there was a, a process of discovery for me, um, and certainly that process, like from from being someone that mostly wanted to be, you know, in Star Wars to becoming someone that was actually going to have to get a job. Um, you know, I did have these moments where I was connected to different, um, you know, communities and I, I found myself coming alive in different ways um, in some of them than others. And so, you know, I, I tell the story about um, growing up at St. Paul's, but it was when I got involved in the youth group that my faith kind of came alive in this new way. And I found myself wanting to be in church a lot. Like I, I liked it. Um, not because I was necessarily geeky about the liturgy um, or vestments or anything that would end up becoming part of my life, but um, but because I, that was a place where people loved me in a really different way, and that was it was a place of unconditional love. Whereas I was very experienced with lots of places of that had conditional love. You know, we you can be part of this group as long as you're you know into this kind of music or participate in this kind of behavior or, or even, you know, we're, we're temporary things that are good. Like we're doing a musical, you know, the community that that would form was intense, but then it was gone when the show was over. Um, and anyway, I saw church was this other thing. And so I, 
I remember being connected to it, having my faith come alive, very much wanting to sort of, I liked being around it. Um, and so that helped sort of guide me. Um, but yeah, as, as a kid, uh, the questions about like my employment or a job that, that was a threat to my happiness. No. <laughs> well, so if, if church is a place that you felt yourself coming alive, then uh, let's ask the other side of that. What's your least favorite thing about God and church and the stuff we do? Like what, what doesn't work for you? <laughs> the fact that God keeps entrusting God's reputation and mission to us. Like, what is God thinking? Doesn't God know us? Doesn't God realize how bad we are at keeping our promises and being faithful? Like, I really just don't get the whole, like, divine idea that uh, God would partner with humans to take this creation somewhere. It makes no sense to me. So that's my least favorite part. God, wouldn't it just be easier if you left us out of the picture? Come on, God. Or just send Jesus back. Let him fix it. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, come on. Like, it, it'll be like a James Brown encore. He'd be like, nah, not really ascended. Rolling back in. <laughs> well, so Dixon, as we talk about vocation, I think it's probably tempting for a lot of us out in the pews who watch you and the other clergy every week to assume that we know exactly what your calling is. It must be precisely what you're doing. Um, that's a little unfair because I don't think many of us out in the pew feel like we're doing exactly what our calling is at, at any moment. So what do you identify as your primary calling? I love this question because I was thinking about it before we got on the call and I was like, my immediate answer was like, Oh, my like primary calling is to like be the best husband I can be to Kristen and like be the best dad I can be to Aiden and Quinn and to be faithful to my friends and to be someone that is, you know, just and fair and all of my like dealings and business and trade. Like my job was not even the first like 10 things that I would say were my calling. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting, it was an interesting thing for me to realize and say, I see what I do in the church like not as my primary calling as if my job and employment and calling are the same thing. Um, but I do what I do in the church because this is what my gift is to share with the body of Christ. This is what I do. Um, like I would do this even if I didn't wear the collar and get paid for it. It's, it's what I do. Um, it's what I would do. Um, and I just happen to have it also be part of my job and I get a pension and have dental. Um. <laughs> dental is very important. So I think, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like we were talking earlier about the, the way that you have the same sort of geeky proclivities around church that I do and the same passions, but your job isn't church, but you give your gift set and what you give is really similar to what I give. You know, you provide leadership, you teach, you know, you disciple people like like there's there's an important theological distinction there. So thinking about the work that you do in the church, not the job necessarily, when did you know this was what you were called to do? We're gonna have to think about the word call, aren't we? We're gonna have to play with the category of call. Uh, you know, my approach I, is just to not pay that much attention to it, and we'll figure it out later. But <laughs> I love that approach. 
that's kind of my whole like leadership strategy at St. Paul's. <laughs> Just charge forward, blinders on. It'll work work out in the end. Um, I no, I think that I mean because th- there is a call to this thing, right? And that's part of when you're doing ordained work. Um, there is a sense that something there's something outside you that draws you to it. Like it, it starts outside, it moves inside in the way that the call works. And for me, I, I definitely think the, the actually, I think it, it might've actually been a little bit of an opposite if I had to talk about it phenomenologically, because the first thing for me was that inside part that was like, church is different. I want to be part of it. I've had a really life-changing experience with Jesus Christ and this community called church, it changed me in like really substantive ways. Um, and I wanted to give that back. It was like this gift. I'm like, I cannot keep this. I want other people to know this. And I immediately started working in youth ministry because that had been the context where I had been given this gift. Um, and so from there, I was like, I think I want to do youth ministry full time. And I did. And so coming out of college, that was my, my first job was in a church, um, you know, outside of Pittsburgh in Venetia, Pennsylvania. And my first youth ministry job, I was 22 years old. And, you know, and I was like, I'm living the dream. I remember like sitting in my office, like one of the first weeks being on the job, being like, I'm doing like one of the things I want to do the most. This is wonderful, you know? And I had been a youth ministry volunteer through college. However, it's, that whole time that I was in full-time ministry as a layperson, um, my grandmother's brother, my Uncle Joe, we called him, lifelong Episcopalian from Charleston, West Virginia. Um, and he, w- I would see him at like family stuff. And Joe would always be like, when are you getting ordained? And I was like, come on. And I kind of like you, Matthew, I, I, I was aware of the like, the way that lay ministry can be undervalued and you know there was a, a sense of like you know it the benefit and integrity of a ministry career doesn't come from a white collar you know and so I was resistant to that and I, I was even offended by it several times because listen when you're in your 20s I knew everything and I was going to tell Joe all the things um, but he kept talking about it over and over again and he really pushed me to explore was this really a call that was happening? Was this was this more than just my Uncle Joe's like prejudices and assumptions about the value of ministry? Was this something else? Even though he was like, I mean, you got to get your union card. That's what he called it. Like, um, and so I really had to think about it. Like, was this something I'm doing? And so as my time in youth ministry continued into different parishes, um, I was in divinity school. I went to divinity school to do lay youth ministry. Um, and you can get a, my seminary, you can get a, an MDiv, um, which is the credential that you need to get ordained with a youth ministry concentration. So I was like finishing that work while I was working full time in the parish. And it kind of just started to become clear. I think the pieces are lining up that I'm supposed to get ordained. You know, I think, so I kept kind of just walking through doors as they stayed open and, you know, kind of followed that path. But that's, that's how I knew that the church, the church work thing was going to be part of my life. And then as I did that, that, that inner longing to church, I started to recognize the out, the exterior voice of God saying, no, let's do this. Let's do this. I think I, I used to joke. It, it was, 
I got ordained because it was a long disobedience in the same direction. <laughs> it just took me a while to, I guess, wake up to God being like, can we make this official? So. <laughs> When I took the job at St. Paul's, um, I'd never been the rector of a church before. You know, um, I'd never worked at a church the size of St. Paul's. Um, and I was just sort of like, you know, I guess dumb enough to follow the Holy Spirit into this office. And, uh, you know, when I got here, I had many moments the first year where I was like, what am I doing here? And I felt like, just doing the job of the rector of St. Paul's was a performance. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. Is it like, I just had a lot of doubts and like what people talk about is the imposter syndrome, you know, somebody else should be doing this, but I have, there's a keychain I have that, um, uh, has, it's a, it's a simple James Avery keychain has an Episcopal shield on it. And the other side, it says, fear not, I am with you. Mm. Right. And that became this kind of like, like deep, like prayer practice for me to hold on to it. That was like, God is with me. And, and I knew, and I, in my sort of meditations, I, I really got the sense from, you know, the Lord. It was like, yeah, Dixon, yeah, there might be a lot of people that would be great at this job, but I didn't call them. I called you to this job, you know? And so you're the only one that is supposed to do this job as far as I'm concerned. So you know, and I was like, well, I guess if you believe in me, then I could like figure out how to believe in me too. I'll trust that. So that was like, I remember feeling there was an acting to that a little bit. Sure. Well, so uh, what's the road not taken? I mean, if, if youth ministry had gone in a different direction or had just been a sort of avocational while you're in college kind of thing for you, or uh, take us back to some of the intersections. What, what did you not do? Um, rock stardom, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I I did. I really, really wanted to be in a rock band, like really bad, um, and like be poor and tour the country and like play music. I, I just I've always been in bands. It's like what I do. Some people play golf. I play in rock bands. It's just how I, you know, spend my time. Um, and I really wanted to do that. Um, I, and I was fortunate even bef before I left Pittsburgh, I was in a band that was really serious and got to do a record and do a tour. And so I, I even was able to have some of that experience, which was gift. But that, you know, jokingly, it's the road not taken. It's not like someone offered it to me. I mean, let's be clear. It's not like I was sitting there with like... The bus is know, running. This, it's time for you to right. get on or you can go to this seminary. Yeah, fan base, and I'm like St. Francis turning it away, you know, to go and live the impoverished life of the parish cleric. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, but that that always was something that I, I had this hunger for that I thought might be, well, I want to do this. Isn't that what becomes necessary for a career path? You know, and it, like, yeah, but that would have been the wrong path for me, you know? Um, it was funny because I, I had another moment like that when I lived in Nashville because I was writing um, and I had like a literary agent and um, was sort of thinking about like, do I want to do the like author speaker thing? 
mm. you know, where you like tour around and, and it was, it was one of those things where I, there was a, it, it was not a fork in the road, but it was this moment where I was like, I'm sort of pursuing this, but like everything that's good about my life and that brings me joy and that's like working in my family is about us being like together and having time and space and like raising the kids and like, like all of those things are, are that which bring me actual joy to do the like author speaker thing. You're like on the road, you're hustling, you know, you're, you're giving yourself to all of these people um, who applaud you on stage, but never know you. Um, and I was like, I don't think that that's actually going to work against everything that's going well in my life. So in that sense, you know, again, not as if I had, you know, the bus running and throngs of fans that were like, but Dixon chose the other path. But I remember kind of making a choice there and kind of, you know, recognizing that as something that I was um, walking away from. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about the way that it, it might be that the secondary and tertiary effects of these kinds of choices are the ones that are usually the hardest to figure out because you don't know them until you've been down that road. Um, and in some ways, that's the part that we just decide to trust, right? And, and you know, God, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have equipped me for this. You wouldn't be opening opportunities for this if this wasn't what I was supposed to do. Yeah, I think so. Or blocking it off. I mean, maybe God took the bus off the road for you. I have been aware, yes, of like the limiting grace of God where, you know, I, I was not given an option to choose something. I mean, it's, it's what we pray every day in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead me not into temptation. And uh, I think I've been aware of that a couple of times, you know, had I been offered one of those paths, it might have been um, not only destructive, but a path I would have been like, yep, sign me up because <laughs> I didn't know. You know, well, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and it's fascinating to think about the ways that, you know, some paths didn't sound exactly right to you, like your uncle telling you when you're going to get ordained. Um, and that, you know, part of that might be a, a way that God or the universe or the church or just plain old Uncle Joe was speaking to you. Um, and part of it is, you know, people's views about what success looks like. You've You've chosen this path. Okay, I'm on it with you. The next thing you do on this path is, at that point, it's ordination, right? So, Temptation and um, and and calling look really similar. That's so interesting, and, and like depending on your your energy, um, like you how it manifests and 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 the way you what it, what it takes for you to listen to the voice of the spirit is going to be different because, like I think about for me, I'm this, you know, I'm geeky about the Enneagram and my type on the Enneagram really resists any limits. Like I don't want limits. And, and part of how that manifests is I don't want people telling me what to do. Like if you want to make a seven on the Enneagram mad, charge it and tell them exactly what to do. <laughs> it does not bring out our best. And, and there's something about Joe and his perceptions of success and per- potentially or whatever that, that when he was telling me, you need to go to ordain. I was resisting that because he was telling me what to do, even though it was actually the path that I needed to take. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. It's a beautiful Jonah kind of moment. Like th- this is what you need to do. Well, then I'm not going to do it. 
I know. Oh, man, it is a Jonah thing, isn't it? <laughs> and there's all sorts of enemies I have that I don't want God to show mercy to. So I really can live right into that story. <laughs> That's a great story to live into. All kinds of human complexity. <laughs> so, uh, Dixon, the next question on my list, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you how not to answer it. I won't tell you what to do because I hear that doesn't work, but I'll tell you how not to answer it. Uh, in what ways do you have chances to bring good news to people and you can't say preaching? Ah, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would not. I would not say preaching. Um, I think that I get, so on the one hand, my job, my day job, um, does afford me some really special opportunities to bring good news um, because of the way that as a priest, I get to, I get invited into really vulnerable moments with people. Um, and you get to have those sacred kind of conversations that come out only when people really trust each other. Um, and they're present in lots of different places. I just happen to do it with people that I might not know very well, um, because we're planning a funeral or, you know, I'm by their hospital bed. Um, and so that's been kind of a, a neat opportunity to bring good news where someone is really, they're really open with you about a fear, you know, or uh, an anxiety they have. And you get to, to be the one that says in a way that for whatever reason, they'll listen sometimes. Um, Oh no, you don't have to be afraid of that. Or there is enough for you. Um, or, you know, that fear isn't going to end you or, um, so that's been kind of cool. Um, I think a lot about, um, so getting to read the burial liturgy with people when they're when they've lost someone because what the church says about death is so different than what our culture says about death um, um and the fact that we proclaim resurrection which means you have to acknowledge that death is actually real and so much of our culture is like uh, let's just pretend it's not real we're not having a funeral it's a celebration of life you know we're going to do you know, we want to make it happy, you know, all these kind of things. And like, like I feel really privileged sometimes to get to be with people and, and say these ancient prayers that acknowledge the real pain that they're in and give them language to express it and give them ritual to like let go of a loved one and to say goodbye and to like be present to God in that grief, which is what you have to do to actually go through your grief. Um, that's good stuff. So I hope it counts to talk about my job as part of that. Oh, I think so. I just, you know, <laughs> the whole point of preaching is to deliver good news. So I wanted to take that answer off the table. Uh, I, I was watching a TV show earlier this week in which uh, the characters are walking out of an Episcopal funeral. Uh, and one character says to the other ones, yeah, those Episcopalians really know what they're doing. Uh, I, I think those those marking events in life are a thing that we just are really good at. Uh, and part of it is, uh, we're very happy to surrender the feelings of the moment to hundreds-year-old liturgy, uh, where probably yes. there's more wisdom. Well said. Well said. Yeah, that's good, Matthew. That's exactly right. So when or, or where, it might be a physical place, uh, do you feel closest to God? In sort of the routine. Like, you can't say Kanuga either. That's That's too easy. <laughs> Canuga. I think the outdoor chapel at Canuga. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I I think that there certainly 
I, I think as of late, it has been in in community and moments of um, like kind of good sacred connection to the present moment, like um, you know when you're it's like being around the table with people that I love and like laughing. Uh, we got to have some people over for dinner. Oh, I had my mom. My mom came over for her birthday, which was awesome. And we were all vaxxed up and we sat outside and like we were hanging out and telling stories and laughing. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And it was it was that, that kind of moment of joy in the present moment that I was like, this is God. This is like that kind of the, the holiness of um, of our moment. So definitely, uh, definitely that. Um I feel I I recognize God a lot uh, in the practice of the daily office, um, and I I don't know if you feel this way. Like when I get to lead it too, like how it it owns your day. Sure. And yeah. I love the way it frames my day, but also the sacredness of like you know in COVID logging on and being like here's here's my community to pray with you know, um, and those have been moments I'm like. I've recognized the, the, the deep presence of God. Yeah, I, I agree about the daily office. Every time I read the prayer of St. Chrysostom and say, you promised that whenever two or three of us are gathered, you'll be there. And I have this, I'm always tempted to change the prayer and say, uh, you've promised you'll be there even if it's on Facebook. <laughs> I think that there's like an enriching our worship adaptation of that. <laughs> that includes that. <laughs> well, and you're, you know, you're you talking about family being together, being a moment uh, suggests that our view about this when we feel closest to God has changed during COVID um, in maybe some pretty great theological ways uh, because the everyday uh, sort of being together has become so tough. Amen. That'll be, if that happens on the other side of this and, and it's something we can retain, it will have been uh, a signpost of resurrection for sure because, you know, the expanding the notion of where the sacred lies um, which is the whole point of that beautiful building sitting over there next to me. Like that whole thing is meant to show you that every, here's one place that's sacred. So you can know that everywhere is sacred. And like, would, isn't it true probably for the way we see our families now for our hunger for community, you know, um, where we're like, Oh, we really do need other people. You know, even the introverts are like, this is a lot. Um, Dixon, share some piece of unexpected wisdom from your journey, something that surprised you and that sticks with you. The things that your heart hungers for the most, you already have. Mm. Like, I know it sounds very kind of, you know, Zen greeting cardy or whatever, and it's hard to say in a way that isn't <laughs> sounding kind of cliche, but, you know, it's it's not a platitude. It's like, it's really deep spiritual wisdom. You know, it's right out of, I mean, this is when Jesus is inviting us into the kingdom of God. I mean, it's like the fact that it's at hand and here and as Jesus says, within you, like those things, it's real. And it like, that's been something that as I have embraced it and lived into it, I only find it to be more true and only experience that truth to be something that grows deeper and deeper over time. Um, so it's. Yeah, it that 
th- that would be something like if I thought about that question was like, you know, if I was in that, if my kids were like, what's like the, the thing we should know or like the one thing I'd be like, everything you have, you already, everything you need, you already have, you know, um, it's the words of the father in the parable of the prodigal son, right? You know, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. You know, like, yeah, that's the good stuff. You're you're offering the individual half of the coin from uh, one of the messages I think you share the most often, that the kingdom of God is here. It's not some other place. It's happening right now. It's not happening sometime in the future. Um, and so that translates to what you hunger most for you already have or at least already have access Amen. to. Yeah, totally. And I recognize too that I share that wisdom because it's, I needed to learn that the most, you know, as a, my personality type is so geared to be looking somewhere else for my happiness, for my joy. I'm looking to the future. I'm reminiscing about the past, you know, all that. So that's been a, a harder thing for me to learn, but has only amplified how wise it is. Dixon, thank you so much for sharing this time. I think we both deserve congratulations for not going down any geeky tangents, uh, which is usually really the way our relationship works, right? <laughs> or snarky, sarcastic comments. So I think we were on our best behavior. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never made any snarky or sarcastic comments. You must be thinking about someone else. <laughs> Maddie, seriously, thank you so much for doing this and for for really taking this vision and running with it for the sake of um, our parish and, and the kingdom of God. Um, it's awesome, man. I really thanks, Dixon. Let, to be let's hope it. people get excited about it and it becomes a way for us to uh, to be together and see different parts of each other. Thank you for listening. Answering is a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Music is composed and produced by Dr. Mark Audrey Graves. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast site so that others can find us and be part of the project. You can connect with us on the St. Paul's website, stpaulswinstonsalem.org, or on our podcast site, anchor.fm answering. We look forward to connecting with you either place, in person, online, in prayer, as we all do the work of answering.